Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. Well, good morning, church. So excited to be with you today. There's a lot of exciting things happening at Project Church. And we are excited because of Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the week before the greatest, the probably the biggest celebration in Christendom. And that's Easter. But if you don't know, Palm Sunday is a significant day. It's the day that Jesus was making his triumphal entry to, to Jerusalem, into Jerusalem, and everyone is expecting his arrival, knowing and hoping that he's bringing about a new kingdom, that he would overthrow the Roman Empire and just take over. So all the Jews that receive him into the city, they have palm branches, and they're waving it to, and, and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. This is, a, this is a glorious day. Jesus is here. The Messiah is here. They throw cloaks down for him as he's riding in on a donkey. And so there's celebration in the air. There's excitement in the air. But if you were to read this account in John, after they say, Hosanna, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest, John reads this, that and when Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. And I think it's so significant for us to realize that in the midst of celebration, the reality of what is taking place in these final days of Jesus' life brought Jesus to tears and should even bring a weight upon us this morning. Amidst the celebration, amidst the celebration, something very sad is going to happen and the weight that Jesus is feeling knowing that the people who are cheering for him are about to be the reason for his coming death. This is a poignant moment in our Christianity, in our faith journey even, because there's a lot of celebratory moments that we experience in life. But the only reason why we can celebrate if you really think about the things that you're grateful for and the things that we celebrate, it's because of what Jesus did on a cross. The freedom that we experience in this life that brings us joy. When the, when the, the shackles of sin um, and guilt and shame are removed from us, we can rejoice, we can be celebratory, but it doesn't come without the reality that our Savior died a painful death. It was a, a moment that I think this Palm Sunday that we need to recognize as we pick it up, as we pick up the story in Mark where we are um, today, that Jesus died for us. And that death affords us life and freedom. And you know, that's, that's the message of even Project Church. The vision of Project Church is to lead all people to life and freedom. And we can't lead you unless Jesus has led us there first. And Jesus paid a heavy price. So this morning as I was preparing, I need to turn this off. <laughs> as I was preparing, I was like, man, I think I'm mostly just going to be in Scripture today. Are you ready for Scripture this morning? I'm reading a bunch of Scriptures, and I, I was feeling so heavy the way I know that Sam and Caleb felt heavy in their 
weeks of preparation for these messages leading up to Easter, it would almost feel wrong to bring any kind of story about myself because this holds enough weight, even, even more than our testimony. Our testimony is, is powerful. We will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And a lot of this world, I was just having conversations with somebody yesterday, a lot of this world, they, they make it by because of the word of their testimony and the self-care that they receive and the self-help that they receive. And they, they, they get by by the word of their testimony, but we overcome by the blood of the lamb. And the blood of the lamb is in the word. And God is the word. He was the word. He is the word. Jesus is the word. So we're going to be in scripture today. Bible is our guide, the Bible. So here, let's pick it up in this very solemn scripture, Mark 15, verse 21. We're reading about the crucifixion, his death, and his burial. Verse 21, and they've compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. Caleb preached about that last week. If you haven't listened to that message, make sure you go back. It kind of frames everything um, leading up to Easter. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from that cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot even save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that they may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Can you imagine being on the cross? After you were beaten and bruised, after your body and its skin had essentially been filleted, and you're up against the cross, your back has been whipped, right? And now you're against this cross and you're feeling the pain of an open wound. On wood, and it's not a piece of wood that was sanded well. It's, it was like tree that he's hanging on. Can you imagine that physical pain and then the emotional pain on top of it with everyone mocking you? With everyone continuing to not believe in you? You know, one of the, the triggers in my life, I'm one of the, um, the youngest, I'm not one of the, the youngest in my family, four girls, and in a culture where your age and your um, birth order is esteemed as the youngest, there's nothing worse than not being believed in. And not really, you know, in our culture, we have to call every older brother and sister um, Ate or Kuya, you know? And the youngest gets called nothing, no titles. There's nothing worse than not being believed in. The emotional pain does not compare. Okay, so let me carry on. <laughs> Verse 33, and when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land. There was darkness over the whole land. I want you to think about this for a minute. It wasn't just nighttime. 
It wasn't that there were a lot of clouds in the sky. It wasn't that this was a solar eclipse. The whole earth became dark. It was night, not in one part of the world. The whole earth, God turned the lights off, essentially. There was darkness that covered the whole land, the whole earth, until the ninth hour. And the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. Now, the people who were around the cross weren't just, you know, weren't just people who were from the city. A lot of it, if you read the other accounts, a lot of these individuals were religious leaders of that day. So as they hear Jesus say, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They begin to say, oh, behold, he's calling out to Elijah. But if you were to really read um, about these individuals who are hearing this and the ones who are mocking him, they're religious leaders who actually understand what Jesus is saying. He's quoting something in Psalm 22 where it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's quoting scripture. And these religious leaders very well know that Jesus is not calling out for Elijah. He's calling out for my God. He is quoting scripture, and it's a message. It's a message, and these men know that, wait a minute, wait a minute, we can't make him, like, follow through with if he is perhaps going to fulfill a prophecy. So we're going to, we're just going to make him even look stupider in front of people and say, he, he's calling out to Elijah. You know, this is, this is the heart of the people who crucified him, these religious leaders. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. I, I, I hesitated to share this as I was talking to Caleb about my message because it's really absolutely disgusting when you really understand this. It says, and someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him, drinking, to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And you know, you might think, oh, in, if you read other, um, other scriptures, it says this on this, about this account that Jesus said, I'm thirsty, and so they ran to give him a drink. But when I read about this account, excuse me, goodness gracious, what I read was that there was something called a spongia that people in this day would use to clean themselves after they've um, relieved themselves. And these Roman soldiers who are around the cross, they were there all day to guard Jesus to make sure that nobody was going to remove him. So they've been there all day, and there's a jar on the ground, not with... Um, myrrh that was that was offered to him earlier you see in verse 22 or 23 it says and they offered him wine mixed with myrrh but he didn't take it Jesus didn't take it because that was going to lessen the pain and he wanted to be fully aware this instead was sour wine which was vinegar that was put in a jar and what they would use was something called a spongia to clean themselves, and on the spongia was a, a stick to help clean themselves off. So when they gave our Savior a drink, 
right before Jesus died was a taste of human excrement, excrement and sour wine on his lips. And the curtain of the, no, let me go back. Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come down, come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last breath. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Verse 40, there were also women looking on from a distance among men whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were, there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So now Jesus is going to be buried. He says this in 42. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was indeed dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and the mother, the, the Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the account that you left us. It is the truth. And because of what you left for us to know and read about you and experience in rereading it, God, we ask that you would allow it to transform our hearts, and our minds. May we be transformed today because of the way the Bible guides us to your truth. We love you, Jesus, and we expect faith to rise as we hear your testimony straight from the word in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Today, I want you to know that the cross equals Jesus. The cross and what takes place on the cross is Jesus, and Jesus is love. So if I was to put three symbols up on the, the screen, it would be a cross, an equal sign, and a heart. So many times we see symbols in our lives that are reduced to accessories and things we adorn ourselves with, and we lose the weight of what these symbols mean in our lives because they become so normal. They become my gold necklace that I wear with my gold earrings. They become this symbol, again, that we may even identify with that the rest of the world only sees as a mystical event, as something that happened um, maybe, maybe a myth that has meaning to that individual. But I want you to understand that you can't understand Jesus or know Jesus if you don't understand what the cross truly means. And if we reduce it to only a, a a legend or a tale that has been handed out from generation to generation, I promise you it's going to lose its weight in your life. It's going to lose the transforming power in your life. So today I want you to understand that there was something that actually happened in history. This is not a legend. This is not a tale. This is the, this is the cross that we 
that this is the foundation of everything that we believe in as Christians. And so today, before we go on, I need a, us to recognize the validity of the cross. And I love that as time has gone by, Jesus, God, and his infinite wisdom, knowing that we are um, skeptics by nature, provides proof that these things actually did take place. In 1941, Simon of Cyrene, his remains could very well have been um, found. They, they aren't 100% sure that this was Simon of Cyrene that we read about, but this individual lived during this time, and everything points to the person who was compelled to help Jesus carry the cross. I love that. And you know what else is interesting? About this time, women were not respected. We all know this. It was a very misogynistic uh, day and age, very, um, very much dishonoring of women, or they didn't carry much value. But the very fact that women were mentioned in this account, not just historically, and all of the historians write about the women who are with Jesus from birth um, to, like, even birth through his upbringing and even at, and during his death and even at his burial, then to eventually um, be the person, be the people, be the gender that reveals that Jesus was resurrected. The very fact that these accounts, both religious and historical, traditional historians, um, write down about women brings val valid validity to this scripture, brings validity to what actually happened on the cross. You know, it wasn't just religious leaders writing out and changing the accounts. They included women in the story. So what took place here was real life. This isn't something that we celebrate because our grandmas told us about this. This is the truth. This is the honest God truth. This is what happened. Historians write about it. And so the validity of the cross is important for us to understand what actually happened so that we can understand Jesus, so we can understand why we come here. If the message of Project Church, if the message of the Christian church is Jesus, then we have to understand that it was real stuff that actually happened. If our message is Jesus, then we got to know Jesus, we got to understand Jesus, and we've got to understand the cross. When I look at this, I realize that on the cross, Jesus proved to be what we talk about every Sunday. He's a miracle maker. He is a miracle maker. On the cross, Jesus is the miracle maker. I'm going to skip forward to verse 33 through 41. We talked about darkness. You guys, that was a miracle. That was a miracle. Has any other time in this, you know, have you ever experienced the whole world losing sunlight? No. <laughs> We would have heard about it by, then, by now, right? And can you imagine, there's no electricity. You know when you're out in, the, in camping and you're in a remote area and it's really dark? This was true darkness. There's no light anywhere. There's no fake lights. This is darkness. That's a miracle. And that's what Jesus hanging on a cross produced a miracle. Even Jesus weakened in his physical strength. There was a miracle that took place because of what he was experiencing. Another miracle was prophetic fulfillment. 
in Isaiah, we read about this Savior who's going to come and be um, bruised and beaten for our iniquities, and he's going to be the propitiation for our, um, for our sin. He was going to bring hope. He was going to die for us. The Messiah was going to come. Jesus comes into the scene, and the fact that he's hanging on a cross and willingly so hanging... He does this willingly. He says, take this cup from me. Okay, I, I know you can't, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to do the will of my Father. This was Jesus willfully choosing to fulfill the promise. He is fulfilling something. And you know what? I think we have to understand that obedience oftentimes is a miracle. Obedience is a miracle. It was a miracle that this man who knew he was going to carry the weight of the world's sin on his shoulders, that he went ahead and got through with it. If somebody told me that I was going to die a really painful, horrific death, I was going to be bruised, beaten, shamed, and mocked in the process, and it was going to be a long, drawn-out process, and it was probably about, you know, six, six to nine hours on a cross, hanging, and barely being able to breathe in excruciating pain and not medicated or sedated in any way, I'm not sure if I'm going to follow through on obedience. Are you? It's a miracle that Jesus obeyed. Think about us as humans. Think about us. Do we ever really want to be obedient when it requires this much? When it requires just a fraction of this? I tell this story in our, about in our Good Friday message, make sure you watch that on Friday, that Caleb, he, um, I think he told you about it, and if you watch his finger close enough, you see it, um, but he was closing our gate, and the gate is automatic, and so as it was closing in on him, it like caught his finger, he pulls it out, and it strips his pinky, it's really gross, take a look at it, it's fun. His pinky, just so you know, his pinky is not painted with nail polish. It's just bruised, and it's been bruised for, like, months. Right, babe? Sorry about that. But he, it, it was filleted, and he told me, this is the greatest pain I've ever experienced in my life. He was white as a ghost when he was telling me, he FaceTimed me right after it happened. Caleb, would you ever choose to do that willingly again? No. And it's just his pinky. Obedience is a miracle. And some of you need to hear this today because if you're wanting miracles to take place in your life, it's going to require obedience. It's going to require obedience. When God gives you the strength, you're not doing it in your own strength. When he gives you the strength to say yes to his will and yes to his way, the fact that you are able to say that in your human nature, in your human knowledge, in your fallen self, in this sinful world, in your sinful state, it is a miracle. The greatest miracles that take place are when, when humans say yes to Jesus, when the weight of the world and so many other things pulling at our attention, vying for our attention, vying for our allegiance, the fact that we say yes to Jesus is a miracle. So take heart when you say yes. Take heart when you say yes to him. So the prophetic fulfillment, it's a miracle. We're seeing a miracle right before our very eyes, and really just even his strength on the cross was a miracle. 
Verse 23, when they offer him mixed wine with myrrh, he doesn't take it. That's a miracle. If you know that you're about to suffer this painful death, wouldn't you want just like one Advil at least? (laughs) Verse 44, Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. Pilate, you have to understand that they have crucified thousands of Jews. Pilate hears this and he's like, what, he's still alive? The strength that this man, Jesus, our Savior, that he displays on this cross is a miracle. But he needed to. He needed to. To fulfill the, prof- the prophecies and to fulfill what he was going to do for us. The strength of our Savior reveals to us, again, that on the cross, Jesus was a victor, not a victim. You know, there's times when we follow somebody or we gravitate towards people that we feel sorry for. And our hearts go out because we're empathetic and we're like, you know, I'm, I'm going to be with my friend who's struggling and I'm going to walk with them because I'm going to be close to them because I, I really want to help them during this time. And if somebody gets hurt in your life, you, you get close to them because you want to help them because they've been a victim in something. So you have something to offer them. You want to help them, right? Have you ever experienced that? You want to help your friend. You want to help your child. You want to help your parent in their time of need. It's easy to follow somebody or be close to somebody that is a victim. But if we're all being honest, something inside of us is, feels good about that. And that's okay. That's okay. We should want to help people. But I want you to understand that we don't follow Jesus because he was a victim on the cross. We follow Jesus because he was a victor on the cross. He didn't just lay victim to the pains that these Roman soldiers were inflicting on him. He wasn't a victim to the mockery that these Jews and religious leaders were throwing on him. He was a victor who willingly gave himself up to them. They didn't find him out of, like, in the garden. He knew he was about to be captured. He prophesied this. We don't follow a victim. We follow and we give our allegiance to a victor, the victor on the cross. And we know that he's a victor because he was able to silence the snakes. There were snakes all around him, mocking him, hissing at him trying to make him feel stupid, trying to represent him to the rest of the world who might be still questioning if he was the Savior and if he was actually the Messiah. They were trying to discredit him to the very last breath. You know, it makes me think about Michael Jordan when he received his um, Hall of Fame award. Caleb and I happened to be living in the same city as the Hall of Fame uh, what is it called? The Hall of Fame Museum, Basketball Hall of Fame. And so wherever anybody, whenever anybody receives their award, like everybody in town is super excited. So it was so cool for us. Michael Jordan, he was like our hero and still is our hero. Just kidding. Because uh, he is the GOAT is what I'm trying to say. Hey, there we go. I, I was actually kind of sad when he received his award because Everybody who worked at the restaurant, that a couple of people who went to our church, worked the whole event, worked at the restaurant that Michael Jordan was going to be at, and they said that he wasn't very fun to be around. 
then when he received his reward, I don't know if anybody um, remembers this, when he um, accepts his award, his speech is just time after time, example after example of people who discredited him in his life, and that was the reason why he was great, because he, you know, he just proved them all wrong. Somebody just said it's true. I mean, he did. <laughs> but the thing is, when he received the honor, he kind of spit in everybody's face. To me, that wasn't much of a victor. That was just somebody who was a victim. And their greatness came from proving everybody wrong. Jesus, on a cross, didn't have to say anything. He didn't say a word to them. Sometimes we silence the victims and the enemy in our life when we do not respond or react. And when we carry the character that Christ carried on the cross. Some of us need to hear this, that even our greatest earthly victor, Michael Jordan, at one point in my life, I carried 23 on my chest, <laughs> elementary basketball. <laughs> but even that victor, he was debatable and questionable when he received his highest honor. A true winner doesn't have to address his enemies. The act on the cross was not Jesus being victimized. It was him proving victor. A victor has complete control. Michael Jordan was controlled by his enemies. Jesus wasn't controlled by anyone but the will of his father. Jesus was not the underdog when he was on the cross. Jesus was in complete control. We read in verse 37 that Jesus uttered his last breath. In other accounts, he decided to give himself up in that moment. He gave his life, his, his self up. He, he didn't just like fall victim to the death process. He breathed his last breath. He was in complete Control And someone needs to hear this for their situation because of the victory that Jesus carried out on the cross. We have the victory even when we don't feel like we're in control. Because the one who is in control of the whole universe and had his very utter complete control on the cross in his last and final hours of his life, he had complete control and victory. We talk about the favor of God in our church, and on our lives this year, 2022. And it's because the favor of the Lord is on us. It's because the victory of the Lord has already been done on the cross. You're not an underdog in your situation. You're on the side of the one who wins every single time. On the cross, Jesus is a miracle maker, he's a victor, not the victim, and he's the true transformer. I thought about saying transformer because your mind might be going to the movie Transformers. I didn't just say that. But here we are at Jesus is being buried. And when even evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, who is also himself looking for the kingdom of God. At this point, after Jesus was nailed on the cross and in, he was in his process of dying, Joseph, one of the religious leaders of this time, Joseph of Arimathea, 
he was still looking for the kingdom of God. Do you see that in this moment, Jesus was still not believed to be the king of all kings? They, they didn't believe that he was going to be the savior. They didn't believe that he was actually going to bring about the kingdom of God, even though he was in the middle of the process that was going to bring the new kingdom. But Joseph of Arimathea, he was still questioning. We have to wonder where all the religious leaders stand in this time. If they all successfully got Jesus to be able to be crucified, they didn't all believe that Jesus was really who he said he was. But we see here that Jesus was so powerful even in his moment of death that it caused Joseph to start transforming in his thinking. Jesus caused a transform, transformation in his thinking. And I think some of us need to realize that when we're in the middle of deciding yes or no on Jesus, Jesus has the ability to transform our thoughts. Jesus has the ability to transform our thoughts the way that he transformed the, the thinking of Joseph. He became so intrigued by what is happening to Jesus on the cross that he asked for the body of Jesus. He needed more proof. Have you ever been there in your, um, your faith where you were wondering if this Jesus thing was real or not? And the more you came to church, the more that you talked to your Christian friends, the more that you talked to people who had this testimony, you started thinking, well, maybe, well, well, maybe, maybe this is true. That's what's happening to Joseph right now. And I believe even right now, as the scripture has been read, it is that powerful, as powerful as the death of Jesus on a cross to impact our thinking. And I believe that faith is rising in this room right now because you've wondered. You've wondered if this was really real. You wondered about the validity of the cross. But now in a room full of people who pledge allegiance to the word of God, you're starting to think differently than you did before you walked into this room. And Jesus has a power to transform our thinking. And it's not because he wants to control us. It's because he wants you to have freedom and life in him. He has the ability to transform your thinking the way he transformed Joseph's thinking. Look at it. He was like, well, well I want to know more. He wants to, he wants to be close to the body of Jesus. He wants to be near the body of Jesus. And he gets to the point in verse 46, and Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. He was with Jesus at death and his thoughts were transforming. And then we read about the women. The women, when you come in contact and into the saving knowledge of who Jesus is, he has the ability to transform your position. These women who were disciples of Jesus, who had no value, like I was talking about earlier, women had no value, but Jesus walked closely with women who called themselves Christ followers. And they were with him at the beginning of, of being beaten and bruised. He, they were with him at the cross and they were with him at his death and at his burial and were the first there at his resurrection. And women were never credited in history before this because women had no value. But in the account of Jesus, we, we see women all around Jesus because Jesus has the ability to rewrite your history. He has the ability to change your position. He has the ability to give you value when you thought you had no value. 
this is what Jesus dying on the cross does for us. He transforms our thinking and he transforms our position. And he wants to do that for you today. He wants to do that for you today. He died on, your cro- on the cross, this brutal death, with a taste of human feces in his mouth. Because he loved you that much, he chose this. He chose to be the victor. He did not submit to being the victim. He chose to give up his life and surrender control to his father so that our sins would be forgiven. Can you hear me right now? He wants to forgive us our sins, our past sins, our sins today, and our future sins. It says in other accounts that he cried out with a loud breath. The fact that he could even cry out anything was a miracle. You know, a crucifixion um, was essentially uh, death by asphyxiation. So you barely had a breath and you had to pull yourself up with all the strength that you had in, utter, in, in order to utter even a sound. And Jesus, in his strength, his supernatural strength, with a loud voice, he yelled, it is finished! It is finished! I'm completing the work that was prophesied so many years ago. And I'm completing the work You no longer are going to be punished for your sins. Yes, there's consequences to our sins, but you are not going to be punished because Jesus took on every last bit of punishment that we deserve. He was a perfect man. He walked a perfect life, blameless in all of his ways, and he took the weight of the world's sin on his shoulders so that we did not have to suffer. We deserve this. We deserve everything that he experienced on the cross because we are imperfect, because we sin, because we are the ones who mock, because we are the ones who devalue our others and ourselves. But Jesus says, I'm going to take your sin. I'm going to be punished for them so you can be saved and walk in victory. I'm going to transform your thinking. I'm going to transform your position. And you're going to live an everlasting life because of what I did on the cross. Eternity is ours. We deserve death, hell, and the grave. Instead, he received it for our benefit. This is the gospel. This is the reason why we celebrate. But we can't celebrate until we recognize how much we need him. We need him. We need him. Someone needs to atone for our sins. And he said, it doesn't have to be you, it's gonna be me. That's what happened on the cross. That is the love of a father. That is the love of a savior. Would you bow your heads in this place? I hope you're thankful for this message. Not me, but what the word says. And the message was not to have you burdened with guilt. Remember, he was not a victim of our sins. He was the victor that chose this for you. He took this on for you. He loves you. He wants you to see yourself the way he sees you. 
He wants you to understand that you don't have to do anything to achieve righteousness. You can't do anything to achieve righteousness. There's nothing we can do in our own strength. So he says, I'm going to take on the punishment so that they can have freedom. And after you receive what he's given you, 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 don't, you still don't have to keep on striving or be, trying to be perfect. He gives you the strength to walk with him and walk in freedom and make good choices. And he surrounds you with a body of believers and a community and a family that is going to help you along that journey because he's faithful like that. He gives you his Holy Spirit. He gives you the Holy Spirit that empowers you to live a life that is righteous. So if you're in this room and this may be the first time you really listen to what actually took place on the cross and what the cross actually means to us, if this is the first time you really allowed it to sink in, I believe so much in what this word is saying that I know that it's transforming your thinking right now. And Jesus wants to take you from victim to victor because we are a victim of this world, but he is a victor. And when we accept him into our life and when we have a relationship with him, we also walk in that victory, in that freedom, and in that life abundance. So if that's you in this place and you want to start walking with Jesus, you want to walk in that victory, you want to walk in the freedom from guilt, shame, and sin, you want to receive that forgiveness that he has to offer you, that he paid the price for. If that's you in this, in this room and you want to give your life to Jesus, I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, I want you to just raise that hand in humility that you need him and in confidence that he can indeed save you. One, two, three. Would you lift your hand in this room? I see this hand. Room, hands all over the room. You can put your hands down. And I want to make it clear that Jesus doesn't just want to save your soul. He wants to be the Lord of your life. And he wants to guide you all the rest of your days. He doesn't want to leave you or forsake you. He understood what it was to be separated from Jesus the, the day that he died or separated from his father. But he never wants us to experience that separateness. So I want you to understand he will never leave you or forsake you from the, this moment on that you make this decision. So church, would you repeat after me and help those who raise their hand make this all-important decision for Jesus. Repeat after me, dear Jesus, thank you for bringing me here today to hear your word, the word that transforms and guides us. I accept you into my life. Forgive me for leaving you out. I invite you back in. I receive the forgiveness and I confess even more sins. I need you. Please forgive me and make me new. Give me the strength 
to live for you for the rest of my days and bring you glory. I love you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You are so good. In your precious name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, can we rejoice today? Why don't we stand in this place? Thank you for praying. The whole church, thank you for praying. This is the most important decision for those of you who have raised their hands. And so why don't we, we're about to sing a song. And I believe that the words of the song will help solidify the decision that you made today. But at the same time, we're going to have some prayer partners make their way up to the front. And I just encourage you, after we sing the song, to, to come up front, pray with those who are up here because they want to make that even more solid in your life that when you confess your sins not just to God but to others it solidifies the power wonder working power in your life so why don't we sing this song and close with this we'll be back in a moment hey thanks so much for tuning in to the project church podcast we pray and hope that this message encouraged you built you up and gave you life We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.